Welcome to the Wiggly Podcast from the Wiggly Sofa on a Wiggly Day in Wiggly World. I'm Queen Wiggle and I am joined today by only one person. Farmer Phil. You're famous, Farmer Phil. Last evening we went to Billy's house auction, or Billy's small holding auction, which Cross Fingers Touchwood went through. And the auctioneer said, we just have to mention that the land will be sold with the caveat that Farmer Phil has planted sunflowers on it for Wiggly Wigglers, which will be harvested in December. Branding, that is. That, that was branding. On this week's show, I shall be working very hard to make elderflower cordial. <laughs> well, I shall be pouring it. We've Can't got... we make elderflower wine? Cordial doesn't sound like it's got any alcohol to do with it. Ah, but I've got a cunning plan. Ah, that's all right then. We put it into sparkly wine, <laughs> and it's called a elderflower cordial wine spritzer. Marvellous. <laughs> We've got a bit we forgot from hay. When Rich was on the Wiggly sofa in the Wiggly Pagoda, I mean on the Wiggly hard chair in the <laughs> shed. <laughs> and what else have we got? Oh, yes, I want to ask you about Georgina Downs, who has become world-renowned with a big pesticide court case that the NFU have got their knickers in a twist about. Well, I think everybody's got their knickers in a twist about it, but that's right. Current, very current hot topic within agriculture in this country at any rate. Rocket. Can't wait. More pesticides. (laughs) Um, In the meantime, we've got a couple of weekly reviews. I've got to the US iTunes site, and so here's the one that I'm going to read out. It's from Microtech Mom. I reckon you're a mommy blogger. And she says, lovely podcast, five stars. Wonderful podcast, love to listen to your farm noises. (laughs) did i ought to comment on that or not no and here's one for you to read out and this one is another five star from la rustica i have finally gotten on the stick and written a review and placed wiggly wigglers on my facebook profile what does she mean gotten on the stick don't know she's obviously a witch i I think that's perhaps a little harsh, but anyway. Well, how did you get on the stick? Well, it's something, it's an Americanism, dear, that's the trouble. I Gotten on the stick? I should say so. Anyway, the podcast is so much fun, mixed in with a lot of really interesting information about farming and the natural world. Makes me wish I was there in LB with the gang. If you're in doubt, download an episode <laughs> and you will be instantly hooked. Oh, well, that's, that's fair nice. enough. Thank you very much for La Rustica. And I must apologise for Heather calling you a witch. I'm sure you're not really. Well, maybe it's not a broomstick. I've finally gotten on the stick. I don't know. <laughs> Let's leave it. You're the best. Yeah. OK. Last time we came out of the music, we made this little piece with Richard, who isn't here this week. He's not on the Wiggly Sofa, but he was in hay. So let's pretend now, you and I, dear listener, that we are transported to Hay on Wye Festival. It's a warm but windy day, and we've yet to start displaying our wares. Watch out for the video if you have not yet seen opening a wiggly bag, a gunny bag, you've got to see it. It's staggering. 
Farmer Phil was on good form. And in our office, the moment where I disappointedly say, oh, is replayed on a regular basis. <laughs> they just get that bit and replay it going, oh. And then they go, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I don't think it's funny. That's what it was. No. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Hey. Oh, I forgot to mention that Steve Leonard, the famous vet, is on the show. How come you met him, Rich? Oh, what a nice bloke. I went down to an event that Lee Valley Wildlife Trust were holding just on the outskirts of London, not far from East Ham. In fact, in fact, near several places that I managed to find accidentally as I was trying to find the place I was trying to go to. <laughs> you weren't late, were you? Uh, no, no, I wasn't no, late, not excellent. at all. Anyway, I went down there and they had this wonderful event. There's an old waterworks. So I went down, flying the flag for Wiggly, did a, um, a talk, and I was obviously trying to promote the wormery and things like that. They'd employed a couple of uh, celebrities on both days, one of which was, uh, was Steve. No, no, oh. uh, I'm not a celebrity. And uh, <laughs> many things, <laughs> was not one of them. Um, he, he was, uh, he was, he was giving a, a, a talk about his work, you know, and uh, and especially his work with the orangutans and whatnot, and various other adventures that he'd had. And there were a couple of other guys. Steve Buckshaw was there as well on the Sunday. Do you remember he was abseiling down Kyoto Falls oh. in Guyana? And, That's and, right. and as Michael said, Wiggly's featured the whole Guyana experience before the BBC managed Absolutely to put it out. Absolutely right. Yeah, and uh, anyway, but he, he equally was a, was a lovely bloke and a really good rattle with him. And I asked him about, um, because of course that programme that the BBC put out was uh, done under the premise that they would try and establish huge reserves in the jungle to stop bloggers going in there and I asked him how that had worked and uh, apparently Guyana had got back to the English government and said yeah well we can we'll make these into reserves as long as you write off you know our, our national debt right and our government said uh, get stuffed and they told the BBC to, uh, to mind their own business <laughs> so, that, so it obviously hadn't worked well they obviously out, can't the afford same, to do that the because they've, Not the moment, um, no. they've no. spent all the money on some um, swimming pools scatter cushions and, uh, and, uh, and piping under ten and uh, cleaning moats. Fourteen duck houses. Duck ponds. Yeah. Oh, floating duck houses. <laughs> they are very yeah. nice, though. I must say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ah, yeah. So there's but, no um, money in Britain because the MPs no. have spent it all on themselves. But anyway, there's the number the, uh, of loose seats they need that's worrying me. Three loose seats. Well, three for one, two for another. There's obviously big action there. I Mind you, I do remember that about. woman that came to Wigglis, that PR lady who sat on our loose seat and came back in with two halves. <laughs> she was mortified. Oh, really? Yeah, that was so funny. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> she said, I thought about not saying, <laughs> but... <laughs> I, had to, I had to tell you. <laughs> I knew it was only me that had been. Yeah. Oh. That's a shame, isn't it? Anyway, so Steve Leonard. So anyway, yeah. I, I presume I, you know him, Phil, as he's a vet. Well, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't live a million miles away, and uh, and he and he was very generous. He said that if if we wanted any quotes from him about various things, then uh, then we could just contact him and he'd uh, do his bit for us. So that's really good. But equally, he gave me this wonderful interview, and uh, and it was it was a great interview because there was very little prompting concerned. You know, it was very much a case of lighting the touch paper and. Off he went with some really incisive, profound thinking. So well, don't say what he says, because no. otherwise we won't be able to listen. No, let's have a listen. OK, let's do it. 
Well, I've bumped into a fantastic bloke that uh, I've seen on TV many times, and I just listened to his talk, which was which really, really good, and which well, I thought I'd jump on you, really, and then get some interesting facts about worms. But I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself. Well, my name's Steve Leonard. I'm a, a veterinary surgeon, but I also make wildlife documentaries for the BBC. Right. So what's been your latest mission? Well, the thing that's been on the TV quite recently has been Orangutan Diaries, and that's sort of travelling around the world at the moment. Uh, it's the second series of that, sort of looking at the plight of, of the orangutan in Borneo and, and what's happening to that. OK. And do you feel, you know, a, a sort of a sense of disappointment with the way things are going in terms of, you know, uh, the habitat disappearing and the plight of a lot of the creatures you're studying? We are really at the cusp, we're at a turning point. I'm very much an optimist. Right. I think that... I sense that. Yeah, very yeah. much so. I think that, that, you know, we are waking up. This is a real exciting time because ten years ago, who would have thought the three main political parties in the UK would be barracking on about who's the greenest? And yet it's now at the forefront of political ambition. Everybody's talking about climate change and before it was just, you know, the, the Green Party. So... Everybody is getting more and more aware. The general public want to get involved. And most importantly, they just want to know what to do. Right. And that's why it's so such a privilege to be involved in making television programmes and conservation stories, because yeah. you can empower people to do a tremendous amount of good. And coming to a place like this today at Lee Valley and seeing all of these stalls and... Not one of them has been without a visitor. Right. And people are fascinated in, in their local wildlife and in something that they can, you know, that, that in some way that they can get involved. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting point you make there because ultimately when you come to events like this, you're kind of talking and engaging a different community, you know, and, and every event has a different type of community, you know, and I think it's important really, in, in, in actual fact, for guys like you who have a certain presence that people are aware of, for them to be able to come and, and listen to you at, and, you know, things that, that are ultimately on their doorstep. Step is, is probably a real treat. Oh, it is very much so. And the great thing is, uh, the reason I'm such an optimist is because it just all you need is to make people aware, and actually they will pick the ball up and they'll run with it. Right. They just need to know what can I do. Tell them what the problem is. Tell them what the solution is. And you know, if that saved the bees, if that saved the worms, it's there. They just need to know the information. And they see a demonstration such as the one I can see in front of me here with your wormery. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you, I mean, presumably you will have studied worms, certainly in your, in your, <laughs> your kind of early days. You know, when you were, well, to be honest, very little on earthworms. It's not something that people bring to the vets. Is not it, to, really, uh, to, to be honest. Oh. Not only only time we see worms in the vets is to feed something else. You know, injured <laughs> wildlife. Right. So the worms coming. For a raw deal at the vets, I'm afraid. Yeah, sure. Have you got a wormery? I don't have a wormery, but I do have a compost bin which is hooching with red worms. In the worms, right. Absolutely, okay. yeah. It's brilliant to see. And they get shifted around the garden and, uh, and then do their work there. Because I live on very clay soil that has been heavily used for agriculture because I've bought a little bit of, of the neighbouring field. Okay. And thankfully been able to get in, you know, uh, rotting manure and that's hooching again with worms and they're, they're really going to town. That's a great word, you know, hooching. That's, it is. that's, yeah. that's a first It is. Is it? Hooching? Yeah, oh, yeah. I might d adopt it into my it book. Is, to be honest, yeah. Whenever yeah. you get more than about seven worms in a spadeful, that's hooching as okay. far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, fabulous. Where do you live then? I live up in Shropshire on the Shropshire-Cheshire border. Oh, dear, okay. Yeah, so yeah. not a million miles from us. 
us because we were in Herefordshire. Oh, so, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah so not, just not, up the A49, so yeah. it's not too far away at all. Yeah. And I suppose because you probably spend a reasonable amount of time away from home. Then, if you're of late, I'm I've spent a lot more time at home, which has been right. brilliant because this is why I'm really getting into the garden. The yeah. pond has just gone in. Okay. The bird boxes are now up. It's really starting to turn around. And like I say, with now my compost and everything else, I'm bringing in the worms. I'm bringing in all the invertebrates and everything else. And that's yeah. been that's been phenomenal. Yeah, to see that change. And again, it that all came from coming to speaking to guys like yourself and say, how do I do this? I've I've got a bee pack today off the bee guy oh, about how to attract you know honeybees to my garden because this is what I want to see in my garden, but I just need the information. Okay, that's a wonderful thing. It's great to hear uh, someone like you say that you still need that information. <laughs> and you said you're 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 doing some stuff with Natural History's Opal Initiative. Yes, that's right. They are, they've asked me to sort of help them sort of communicate science to people and. You know, what's really nice about some of these big institutions, they've got the phenomenal scientists there. It's just trying to get them into the environment, release them, let's set them free, you know, beards and all, into the into the community to really get people to engage with the science. Because right. understanding how worms are affected by different habitats around the UK in terms of different usage, agriculture and everything else, we need worms, we need bees, we need we need to live alongside these animals. We've we're just starting to come out of this intensification period in agriculture where we think we can tame the land and make it do what we want it to do and we're now starting to understand that that will work for a while and then we'll rob it of everything that that we depend upon and we actually need to work with wildlife because that's how that's how these plants have existed and that's how these animals have existed for millions and millions of years, of years in an ecosystem right. and that is all important you're absolutely right and uh, I, i've thoroughly enjoyed listening to what you've got to say <laughs> it's been a pleasure thank you very much thank Cheers, you steve you know, I love reading the reviews, especially the ones from Son of the Goddess. Do you remember Son of the Goddess? He was the completely depressed commuter. Oh, yes. Yes. Yes, I remember. Well, here's his latest one. It's called Penguin Five Stars. Thank you so much for reading out my last review. I was walking down a London street laughing out loud with joy as I heard the pod. I think Perfect. we've got, I think we have actually helped him <laughs> through his commute. Suffice to say, people were crossing the road to avoid me. Loved the article about Penguin, the dancing, skipping one tonne of beef, trying to smash his way out of his pen as his lady friends frolicked off to play in the lovely Welsh country. Wigs, that's us, remains the cyber highlight of my week and the download of every pod remains simply brilliant. Perhaps Farmer Phil could send some of Penguin's waste product to our beloved politicians in Westminster as a gift for all their good work. I feel they managed to produce <laughs> quite enough of that of their own. Keep up the tremendous work and remain true to yourselves. Listen, let's go to Rachel Harris because she has been making elderflower cordial and yesterday she went off to pick. Well, I'm stood in Farmer Phil's field of wheat, or at least I think it's wheat, looking for elderflower heads to make elderflower cordial. Once you decide to do something like this, you suddenly realise that they're growing everywhere. And I've just spent the past couple of weeks or days noticing that there's elderflower by all of the roadsides and thinking that I must get out there and pick some elderflower to make elderflower cordial. 
I only did it for the first time last year and it was so easy and so delicious as well. So I'm looking for elderflower heads that are completely in flower and have no brown on them and preferably no insects as well and a sort of creamy colour. Now they say that it's best to pick elderflower when it's a beautifully sunny day as you get the most flavour from it. And it was beautifully sunny this morning, but the sun's gone in a little bit. It's a bit windy now, but I thought I'd better get out here and pick them before they go over. So really, this was just an excuse to go for a wander in the field, as there is actually a really good elder tree next to the garage here at Blakemere Farm. But I thought it would be a nice excuse to go out in the field. So I'm going to have to climb back over the gate risk the marauding cows and find some more elder trees okay this is a better one if I can get past the nettles now all I'm equipped with is a plastic bag and a pair of scissors and Heather's wellies to avoid the cow packs and make sure that I don't get stung and what I'm doing is I'm just trimming them off just below the flower head and popping them in my plastic bag. Easy as that. And this one has got beautiful, huge flower heads about, oh, what's that? About 15 centimetres across. And it smells lovely. It smells absolutely gorgeous. It smells like summer, I think. So, but of course, the biggest ones and the most open ones are virtually out of reach. I think I made about three batches last year. Um, spent quite a lot of time explaining to other people how to do it, even though I'd only just learnt for the first time. So at least this way I can just direct them to the podcast. There we are. Oops, just getting stung there from nettles. Right, that's probably enough now. The recipe I've got calls for 15 to 20 heads. Obviously it depends on the size of them. These ones are quite small actually. Last few here. Whoops, using some flowers. Mmm. Okay, so I'm now in the kitchen, Lower Blakemere Farm. I've got my bag of elderflower heads there, a big pan to put them in, some sugar and some lemon, thanks to San, who's just come back from Madley's shop. Now this is gonna rustle a little bit, but I'm just gonna finish putting the elderflower heads into the pan. Now I've checked with Hannah, she says that if it's a stainless steel pan, then that doesn't matter. Lots of recipes say stick it in a bucket or something like that. But to be honest, I didn't really think I would be able to find a clean bucket around here. So this is much easier. Now, there are a few bugs on these elderflower heads and they are now crawling around in the bottom of the bag. But never mind, hopefully they're not going into the mixture. Oops, there's one, a little green fly of some sort. Okay, he's off. 
Right, so I've got about 15 to 20 heads of elderflower here. I've just boiled, stuck the kettle on to boil. The recipe calls for three pints of water, so I'm going to measure that out in a minute and put the sugar in it. So then, there's a lemon. I chopped it in half, getting the pips out. Actually, it doesn't matter if you get the pips out because you've got to strain it afterwards anyway. So he's squeezing the juice of one lemon in there. Now, the lemon contains citric acid, which supposedly is supposed to act as a preservative as well. You can buy, last year I bought, well, I put lemon juice in, but I bought citric acid as well. The only thing is, by this time of year, if you go to, you can get it from a chemist, but you go to a chemist and they tend to run out because everybody's making elderflower cordial. And the other thing about it is apparently drug users use citric acid for something dodgy. Well, at least that's what my mum said. So, the last time I tried to go to the chemist and buy some citric acid, um, I'd been working in the garden and I was a bit scruffy. And so I made sure that I, I had to go and change into some clean clothes and wash my hair a little bit before I went to the chemist to try and buy it. And even then, when I got in there, the woman said to me, what do you want it for? So I said, I'm making elderflower cordial. And she let me have it. There you go. It's not too hard to get your hands on. Now, that sugar's still not dissolved completely, so giving it a good stir. And then I'm going to pour that on top of the elderflower head. I'm going to cover that with a clean tea towel and leave it for 24 hours. And it's as easy as that. And then tomorrow, Heather is going to strain it and bottle it. And so, 24 hours on, Rachel's gone home. <laughs> and so, I've got all the mixture in my big pot and I've got my sieve and a mixing bowl to strain it into. So I'm going to now pour this cordial stuff, which smells delicious, into the bowl. And then we're going to drink it. Here we go. Oh, I can see why she wanted me to get muslin. It's interesting that it's gone syrupy, isn't it? It's got, it's got sugar in it. Pick the sieve up, Pharmaphil. And, and, all right, lemons yeah. and elderflowers. Now, will that be satisfactory? Because there's a few bits in it. I think so. Well, there's nothing in there going to hurt you, is there? No. Right, well, we have got a lot of it. If any podcast listener would like to pop round for a bucket of elderflower cordial, do let us know. Now, how am I going to get that out of there, then? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, the other jug. What other jug? I've got another jug somewhere. I'll just go and get it. Okay, so what we're going to do is bottle it up for the summer and we can put the plastic bottles in the freezer and the glass bottles... Not in the freezer. No, in the fridge. So we'll try it now without wine. And for all those listeners that would rather us not do a tasting. Tough. (laughs) Because, how can we resist? A summer's day at Lower Blakemere. Homemade elderflower cordial with ice and water. Three glasses, one for myself, one for Farmer Phil, and one for Michelle.
Yeah. Well, it's clear, nearly. Hmm. Cheers. Chin Smell. chin. Definitely smells of elderflower. Gosh. That's, That's not bad. That's lovely. That's not bad. I like that. Tell you what I would like better. Sparkly water in it. Well, sparkly wine would be even better, wouldn't it? Now, let's look at the cost. Because I reckon we've got at least 157 glasses of it. And we've spent one and a half lemons and some sugar. And the elderflower was thieved from me. Yes. That's fair enough. If you want to make your own elderflower cordial, the recipe is up on the blog. Wigglywigglers.blogspot.com Farmer Phil, I must tell you, I must tell every small business owner about my little Twitter story. For those of you who've been listening for a while, you will know that BT have spent some time installing a new system. For those of you in America, BT stands for British Telecom, our national phone provider. Yeah, it stands for something else in my house, actually. Is that repeatable? No, it's not. (laughs) But anyway, British Telecom were due to put a new telephone system at Wiggly Wicklers, and this all started in January. And I won't bore you with the details. Suffice to say that not only did they fail to install the system, spec the system correctly, but the salesman left the company. We were unable to get hold of anyone. But eventually somebody came, and on the day they arrived, our BT bill came through the post, our invoice, and they had put on there £6,500 of extra charges that he said himself were absolute rubbish. So we were a bit horrified about this and he duly contacted BT and since then we've been in the normal little business, it's sort of, you know, the David versus Goliath thing that you can't get through to a communications company. You've all been there, haven't you? Press one for this. It took me 35 minutes to get a human to actually speak to and that human was absolutely useless. So this frustration has carried on and I just want to show you this with you because of the power of social media. I know I'd bang on about this, but I decided that this had gone beyond a joke. We'd spent, I reckon, two days of my time chasing this up. The translation, dear listener, of I decided this has gone beyond a joke actually means that Heather got very close to throwing all her toys out of the pram in some order. I always know when I see purple dots that it's not going well. And so I started to Twitter about BT and I put a hashtag BT and I started to just relate little snippets of this story. And within an hour, BT Care on Twitter had got back to me and wanted to know more details. And I explained that I wouldn't be able to do it in 140 characters or less. (laughs) But to cut a long story short, I I, I was already dealing with the operations director. And I twittered that he had failed to respond. And within 20 minutes of my Twitter direct to BT Business, not only had he phoned me up, but he had organised our £6,500 credit. And that is me trying, without fail, on a two-weekly basis since the beginning of April. So if anyone's out there is listening... I think that Twitter is fantastic for holding companies to account. And, you know, no doubt our company will be held to account too if we make a mistake. But it's a great way 
of having a conversation that is so direct and so powerful, you're on the same channel as Mr. BT and you've got influence. Twitter one, BT nil. Uh, But you know what? The Twitterer from BT was really pleased to help and he was really pleased to be able to put that in his report that day. Of course, we haven't got the system in yet and the credit hasn't arrived, so hopefully it'll be fine. Where was I? What I want to know about is Georgina Downs. What she has done is won a landmark court case, which means that at the moment she has the right to know what the farmer is spraying in the field next door to her house. Just going back a bit, I'd like you to know that she was at the Woman of the Year lunch with me in 2008. Was she? Yes. But, I mean, what's her problem? Well, I think her problem, the farming industry has a problem with her because they see her as an anti-pesticides campaigner. But she's found a legal route to aggravate the situation. But what is interesting from my point of view is a number of things. One, I think the legislation was already there to protect her. So if I spray a field next to somebody's garden and that spray goes in their garden, then I'm in the wrong. So that from that point of view, the legislation was already there to cover that. But the other thing is whether actually everybody who has a a garden or a house bordering a field wants to know exactly what is being sprayed on the field or whether in more general terms they want to know that the farmer involved is obeying all the rules both weather and application rates and what he's putting on for what purpose. Well basically I don't want my garden sprayed. Absolutely not and of course this is one of the main problems because there are degrees I mean I'm sure that you've been able to smell some of the strongest smelling chemicals, you can smell the smell of it in the air. Now, does that constitute spraying her garden? Well, I remember having I, been sprayed, actually, yeah, I mean, by a plane well, yeah, down stairs. Ex- and I was just innocently riding my horse, and a plane came over, and it just, I don't know, it was still spraying the stuff out. Yeah, I mean, and the reason, uh, that's one of the reasons that now there's no aerial spraying is it? We don't do aerial spraying anymore because they've, they've steadily taken away the clearance to do it. And that's really my point, that the rules on both what the pesticides are and how they're being used have been tightened up and tightened up and tightened up. And that the notification bit, which is the ruling that Georgina Downs has won, is an ancillary. If the farmer is, is obeying all the rules, then there is no issue. It's when the farmer or the person working for him is spraying in adverse weather conditions or or whatever that the problems start to occur but I'm interested because obviously there's a practical implication in terms of selecting the weather conditions to go spraying it might be a, a instant decision you know the wind has dropped I can go spraying how do you notify all the people do they want to be notified and all the bits and pieces that go around that. So her campaign is really against the government Because she wants legislation. Yes, she is seeking to get legislation to make all farmers, the industry, notify all neighbours of what they're putting on in advance of them putting it on. So what's the problem with that? Well, it's actually the practicalities of doing it. 
so that, for example, whatever route you choose to notify them, if they don't get the text message or they don't read the Twitter or whatever, whatever method you employ... Are, Can't you just put a sign up on the field? Well, that's the, the NFU's thing, is that, you know, isn't it sign enough that a sprayer, which is an obvious machine with a big beacon on the top that comes round the field, you know, is that notice Of course enough? it's not. I mean, what are you thinking of? Why would anybody know that that was a sprayer? Well, the point is that, I mean, it might have to be made obvious, but then there's the next stage, is that obviously you can't tell just by looking at it what it's putting on. I was going to say, that's the problem. do the, the general people really want to know the chemistry of what's being put on? Do they want to know why it's being put on? Or do they, in more general terms, want to know that they're only using approved chemicals under approved circumstances? And... I don't know the answer to that question, but I would suggest that the chemistry is utterly meaningless to the vast majority of people. But I think that the feedback that I get suggests that if they're confident that you are behaving responsibly, that they're happy. They're obviously not going to be happy if you either spray them or their garden. And I think that there's a case for buffer strips and so on under those circumstances. But, you know, I do know that there have been problems, particularly this year in the east of the country that we've had weeks and weeks where it's been windy all the time and people have been sort of getting more and more desperate and they've been tempted into spraying in conditions when really they shouldn't. One way out of it is to spray at night when the wind drops by and large. God, then everyone would think that you were um, nocturnally trying to hide (laughs) what you were doing. Essentially, my view on it is that it comes down to communication. So things like Open Farm Sunday, where you as a farmer give the public the opportunity to ask you the question, is your opportunity as a farmer to explain to them what you do and why you do it. And if you can't justify it, then you ought to look very seriously at what you're doing. All right, so you can't put a sign-up. I don't see why you can't put a sign-up personally, but why don't you use something like Twitter so that people subscribe if they're interested? But there might be lots of people that aren't even slightly interested. Absolutely. That is the current discussion because... What, whether or not a farmer's going to use Twitter? Well, how and to what degree that information needs to be communicated. Why don't you just go organic, Phil? Well, I don't (laughs) believe that it works, but this isn't an organic, conventional argument because there are things that organic farm I mean you you can apply the same argument if you're spreading cow muck or spraying well you can't because it's about pesticide well it is but it it can be translated into further things so if you're if you're spreading chicken muck which smells absolutely foul it's only a step in the same well no it's not because what she's saying is that pesticides cause her health harm they do well that's what she's saying but that what she's the actual court case was not about whether they cause her health harm or not, which is always an arguable point. The court case was that if the pesticides, or even if the farmer was just spraying water, go in her garden on her property, that is against the law, because you're doing something that is impinging on her life, if you like, on her property. The fact that she believes the pesticides adversely affect her health gives weight to her argument, but the real point is that if the pesticide strays into her garden, then the sprayer of the pesticide must be in the wrong. And that legislation already exists. It's just how you overcome this friction. And is there friction in everybody's minds, or is it just in a few? The suspicion in the farming industry is that whether or not the pesticides adversely affect Georgina Down's health is neither here nor there. They might, they might not. 
the point is she is an anti-pesticides campaigner and therefore they rail against her for that reason. But I think the farming industry have got to look fairly carefully because of the fact that she has a legal point, that you are not allowed your applications to stray onto other people's land. Conversely, if she put things on her garden, is she going to notify the farmer? You know, I don't suspect that she would, but you know, normal gardeners use garden pesticides, so does it have to work the other way? Well, you're not going to have any risk of spraying it onto the field, are you? Why not? Because well, because I'm going to use a little pushy-pushy well, thing and you're using a boom that's absolutely. the size of a... But the point is that the legislation exists so that it's illegal if the, the chemical that the boom puts on strays into her garden, so hopefully you put it on in such a way that it doesn't. The court case she's won is an, one of notification. So it's nothing to do with the chemical going in her garden, it's the fact that she has the right to know what the chemical is going on the field next to her garden. Therefore, conversely, the farmer, in theory, should have the right to know what she puts on her garden. And it gets so complicated, and I'm thinking... The thing is, 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 it, actually... is it that you don't mind much because you haven't got many neighbours? You know, for you to notify somebody, if, if we were going to go spraying in the big meadow, you could just see Frank and say, bit of spraying well, going on. Whereas, probably some farmers, say in Hertfordshire have got, I don't know, 30,000 close neighbours. That is the practicality of it, but for me, actually, it's quite interesting because I have got one neighbour who has sent me a, ne- a message saying, why can't I tell him when we're going spraying so they can get the children inside? Now, I haven't actually had time yet to go back to him and explain the situation, but it's nothing to do with the chemical going on his garden or whatever else that they are convinced that whatever I'm spraying is going to damage their children. So obviously I've got some communicating to do to let them know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So it does affect me. When the numbers get higher, and as, as you rightly say, you know, you've got a housing estate next to a town, you've got a lot of people to contact. Do they want to be contacted? Well, some might, most probably won't, and so on. But it's God, I can imagine the phone call at night. Instead of the double-glazing man or the um, telephone salesman, it'll be 30 farmers phoning up to say they're going out in the field. That's right. And, it, I mean, that is a silliness, but it's not a total silliness because farmers should be making sure that they're not drifting chemical onto other people's property. What do you think, dear listener? Well, if you want to find out more, if you go to um, pesticidescampaign.co.uk, that's Georgina Downs' website, and she has won all sorts of things, not just high court battles, but um, polls. And she's actually, ironically, the 20th most powerful person in farming. And if you want to uh, see the other side of the story, then if you go to the NFU website, the NFU website is www.nfuonline.com. But it would be great if you have your say. What do you think? Should that happen? How are we going to do it? What would work? What would work for you? Well, there we are. That was another pesticide debate lasting 16 minutes. And here's the latest review from Bruce42. And he says we are fabulously daft. That'll be you then. Five stars. (laughs) I cannot rate this podcast any higher just to say that it's the only podcast that I have subscribed to that I have never fallen asleep during. 
Oh, that's nice. Hugely informative and yet entertaining at the same time. Just one thing. I would gladly swap some of the pesticide debate for more balls. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry, Bruce. Hope you're still with us. Um, I think we'll have some more pesticides soon because hopefully we'll ask Georgina Downs if she'd like to sit on the wiggly sofa and give our farmer Phil a bit of strife. He's looking frightened. <laughs> uh, before we go, you must know this. We are going to Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. And that is between the 7th and the 12th of July. If you're listening to this in 2012, you've missed it. But if you're listening to this in 2009, 7th to the 12th of July, will be at Hampton Court. Can't wait. Do you know who goes on the first day? Cliff Richard. Da, da, da. We're all going on. <laughs> bye from me. And bye from me. Now, how am I going to get that out of there, then? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes! The other jug. What other jug? i got another jug somewhere. I'll just go and get it. Well, oh, sorry. The only trouble was that every door slam nearly took Michael's <laughs> ear out. <laughs>